0: This episode of all the president's minutes is brought to you by another show on one hit minute productions increment vice in its last weeks 45 46-ish episodes examining every single scene of paul thomas anderson's incredible inherent vice fascinating conversations monstrous guests like ryan johnson director of brick and the freaking last jedi and looper was on this thing we've had some incredible chats uh, as the producer of the show i couldn't be prouder of travis woods our host and cat corbett our narrator you must check out the show it is winding up uh, and truly if you're even a tangential paul thomas anderson fan um this film is just a wonderful skeleton key to unlocking a lot of his sort of thematic preoccupations his evolution as a filmmaker and the dialogue has just been absolutely phenomenal so you must listen to it but now another one of the one eight minute production shows. All the president's minutes.
1: Republican members on this committee of whom I am very fond, but don't think that when you have established the rule of because we can, that should the shoe be on the other foot, you will have any credibility to come to us and say, yeah, I know you can do that, but you shouldn't because of X, Y, or Z. Your credibility to make that argument at any time in the future will die in this room and on that Senate floor if you continue to proceed in this way. I hope that that is not the case. But please don't think that there are two separate rules. That when there is Republican majority, the rule is because we can. And when there is a Democrat majority, the rule is, oh, no, you can't do it that way.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to All The President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Thank you so much for joining us again. 110th episode out of 137 episodes in the series. We're on the downhill slope and joining me today is a friend. It's nice to see his face. It is nice to hear his voice. Um, It's usually kind of a yearly thing where we actually get to see each other in person at the Sydney Film Festival. So it's kind of like melancholic in a way to see him and not like be able to sidle up to him in the front seats of, you know, in between whatever number of movies we're calling and coordinate a tactical beer to actually see him. But he's an extremely talented writer. Um, He's now currently the production editor for Crikey News, which is an independent news organization in Australia, which is doing spectacular work when it comes to news in this country, which is 70% Rupert Murdoch dominated BS. um, And then 30% of struggling people who are bought by third parties, um, who kind of a tangentially owned by Rupert Murdoch anyway, so there's kind of pointless. Um, he is the co-founder of Movie Mezzanine, which seems to have popped up in regular conversations over the last little bit with Sam Frigoso. He's formerly written for Concrete Playground and Junkie. He's my mate, Tom Cliff. Tom, thank you so much for being a part of the show.
2: Uh, thank you so much for having me, Blake. It's it's awesome to be here. I'm a huge fan of the stuff you've been doing. And um, yeah, as you said, it's it's probably not uh, the, the way we were hoping to catch up this year, but, uh, you know, you, you know, we do what we can in this, in this, uh, very strange year we're in and I'm, I'm thrilled to be here.
0: So before we get into a newsroom, because, um, Tom is experienced at both being in a newsroom and now a remote newsroom. Um, uh, and this is the minute that we're, uh, we're approaching in the film. We just started having a conversation that happened so often on the show where we're having a conversation and I have to go stop right now. We need to stop this conversation. We need to take it into the show. And so for folks um, who are listening, you know, the date that we're recording this and you guys are going to hear this um, probably just only like a day or two later. Um, it is Sunday, the 18th of October. And it just dawned on me that the 22nd of November would be a perfect day to end the show. It's not the 3rd of November, it's not the election. It might've been nice to go on like the 2nd of November, but that's just not the case for the show. I want the show to be done by the end of the year and I'm sure um, you guys have been following along and sort of known that I've uh, had that aspiration. But the 22nd of November is my daughter's birthday. I finished one heat minute on my son's birthday. Now I'm giving her all the president's minutes. It just feels like the right thing to do in my universe. And as I told Tom that he he brought up the most amazing point, which is that the episodes that you're gonna hear between the 3rd of November and the 22nd of November have two extremely divergent tones coming at you. One of them is a tone where, um, where Woodward and Bernstein get thrown off the story and nothing happens <laughs> and nothing happens. And the other one is where, despite the fact that Nixon is reelected that he's eventually impeached um, in his second term. But, what what i mean to say by that is that the biden re-election uh, biden election uh, being elected in the states or trump being reelected, probably uh, especially with international not only listeners but also participants of the show might cause a strange tone to happen. And I, 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 Tom sort of brought out the point and I said, I literally don't know what that could be. I, and, I, and I don't really want the fan fiction of not, you know, of not knowing and, and having to record two separate episodes <laughs> where I tell the guests, please pretend that Biden won and we'll do that one. And then now please pretend that Trump won and we'll just see where this goes. I kind of just have to like, you just got to write it out and see, see what the hell America is going to do because they are a very deeply unpredictable country right now.
2: Yeah, and it'll be so funny because obviously, depending on the outcome, it might affect kind of the mood of participants and the mood of listeners, but also kind of it may change how you think about the film, because the film, you know, kind of is about, uh, you know, the kind of the truth coming out and and the truth being enough to kind of bring down this corrupt presidency and you kind of leave feeling hopeful. And I think that's probably what a lot of people would like to happen in the States now. And, you know, depending on the outcome, you're either going to be thinking, Oh, you know, the world that we saw laid out in, in, in this film is, is kind of it's a world where the where truth and justice prevail, or maybe you leave watching the film being like, Oh, it just feels like a fantasy. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I a think, I, I,
0: I think, I think we're kind of already there. This is the thing. Nixon is reelected. Nixon is reelected in this movie and that I think is a kind of underrated factor. Like the final minutes of this movie, um, really is, is a, is a doc is a document that sort of documents the fact that he's re-elected, and then gives you this atmosphere that work doesn't stop when you have a setback and literally the biggest setback for these guys in the context of the work they're doing is the president being reelected the country, not emphasizing the importance of the revelations of everything that happens with Watergate. And obviously it, it's just a matter of time. The avalanche is coming. Like, you know, th- there are a lot of people that haven't heard about it. And, you know, now for us in 2020, even people like Tom and I here in Australia, like adding the gate suffix to something is synonymous with a scandal that happens in politics around the world since this moment, since 1974. So, um, you know, when Nixon is actually in peace, actually earlier. Um, but, You know, I think that's where we can kind of go, wow, you know, I I can't imagine a more unimaginable setback for these guys than watching him be reelected and they just, they have to put their head down and keep working because that's the only way that things get done. It's like, he's going to get reelected. They're going to squash us, but continuing that pursuit for truth, I think is a huge part of it. But, but I a hundred percent agree now, like taking it out of the reality of this movie. I think there's gonna be some really real dark com and 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 big inquisitive, you know, uh and, and musing kind of sprawling conversations. Cause I don't know if people are gonna to wanna to talk about I don't I don't think people are gonna believe that this could ever happen again. I don't think people believed it at the time, but I don't think that people are gonna believe it's gonna happen again, Tom, when if 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 Trump is re-elected in the context of what has happened to America in the world standing.
2: Well, I mean, and this movie is both the perfect choice for doing this podcast in this year, but also kind of the most depressing or risky choice as well, as you obviously have experienced (laughs) over the last hundred or so minutes.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's, you know, it was a project that I really wanted to do because, you know, you, you knowing me, these kind of deep dives and these obsessive fil- you know, these films that sort of are ripe for obsession, uh, I have a great kinship with, and uh, this is kind of my modus operandi. So wanting to challenge myself to do this, and this is the year to do it. If you're going to do it any year, you've got to do it this year. But, you know, it's been a tough year. It's been an evolving year. It's been, you know, I'm sure you've experienced it at Karaki yourself. You know, it's it's a it's a year that at the beginning of the year, we've got these whimsical things. We've got these unknowns, and then there's pandemics, and then there's civil rights issues, and then there's you know mental health issues, and then there's economic issues, and um, and there's unemployment and uncertainty. And it's like it's 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 all sort of snowballed into a lot of things, and and people, everyone's having a 2020 in mental health, and you know, and you know, there's some great Twitter. There's some great tweets about it. There's a few fun memes, but the reality of the situation is that it's not, a f- it's not completely fun for everyone involved. Um, and it's, it's not fun at all for many people involved. And it's just, yeah, it's, I think it's just a fast, it's, you know, I, I don't, uh, um, I don't know if you call it like, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of my work in a way that like, I couldn't go back and listen this show. I would be fascinated to re-listen to parts of it in like, 10 years. Like I like with one heat minute folks who know me and I love heat, I can go back and listen to a minute, even a minute, like talking to you about how the um, when we talked in heat and, and I don't remember the exact minute off the top of my head right now, but I remember that Tom talked about the boxes in a drive through looking like gravestones in a Western. So um, you'll kind of know the area that we're operating in around that time was around the, um, sort of around the seventies. Um, you know, I can go back and think about a moment from heat and go, Oh, I want to go listen to that conversation. Cause that was a blast. So I can hear you saying that memorable thing in my head, but in five years time, I want to go back and listen to this to hear what they're like, what the world's like. It's like, man, if you want to, if you want to flashback to how you were feeling in the middle of the pandemic, just go back and listen to yourself talking this podcast because everyone has been riding this whole wave with us this whole time. It's, it's, it's a great, great yeah, deal of fun. Media,
2: all kind of media from this year is going to be a fascinating Kind of, um,
0: you know, piece of history. <laughs> yeah, it's our time capsule year, mate. Tell me, look, I know you're a movie fan. I know um, some of your taste, but for for listeners, is is this? You know, you're a guy who functions now in in newsrooms and in news. Is this is this a movie that was seminal to you before pursuing what you're pursuing? Because I I remember you being like such a passionate cinephile, but I don't remember us talking particularly new Hollywood or this movie in any of our many interactions that we've had?
2: Yeah, you know, I, um, look, I love this film. I remember when I came on heat, I was kind of the person who was kind of (laughs) a little bit, I'm not going to be playing the contrarian this time out. Look, I do love this film. I don't know that it was um, a seminal film in terms of my wanting to pursue, say, journalism. Um, You know, I I started out in film criticism and then kind of fell sideways into kind of more newsroom stuff. you know, when I think of uh, kind of movies about the news media from this era to me, one of my favourite f- films of all time is Network. Yes. And this to me is like, I, I don't know, maybe it says something about me that I'm I'm almost more attracted to that kind of dark, grim, satirical take rather than this, you know, more earnest film, I suppose you would say in some ways.
0: Um, Net- Network and Presidents made in the same year. and yeah. uh, And what's crazy is, and I know you love a network. I love network too. I've been watching. I've always thought that they were so far apart, like, like, like a distant relative. And then I'm like, no, maybe they're cousins. And now they're like a brother and a sister. Like they just feel like they are in the same house. They are in the same house. They are just, they're one of them's just being, spectacularly overt with some of the same feelings that are already simmering in president. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, net, network's a big one for me and and especially in this year, you're like, and, and the last few years, like leading into 2016 and everything that's happening, it was like, man, God network was on point. And now you'd like, it's, it's actually scary. You just watching, it. You're like, stop. It's so, so exactly right now. And it's has stayed right now for years that it's, it's scary yeah but I mean
2: I will think I say the other thing is that you know re-watching Presidents for this show and it's the first time I've watched it since kind of working in a in a newsroom and obviously the newsroom I work in isn't quite the size or scope of the <laughs> Washington Post but um it is it's given me kind of a new appreciation for the film and for the work I do but also um for the way that that journalism has changed and and you see a lot of the a lot of the kind of news newsroom movies that have come out over the years from this up to you know more recent stuff like spotlight from a few years ago the way that news has changed in those intervening years is is fascinating and, and you know sometimes a little depressing i think but
1: uh, we yeah. can
2: get into that with this, the minute i guess
0: yeah no we we can definitely do that i think there's a lot of comparisons cuz i that's one thing like that's one thing that is uh, really um crystallize me in this project is like, there should be more, like, I can't remember who said it along the way on the show. And I'm sure that like some of our awesome enduring great listeners, like Greg Christie, who's one of our, my favorite listeners, or who's been following along the show and one of our patrons um, might know this, but someone along the way was like right now as we're at a time where no one wants cops and no one wants cop shows anymore, can we just swap out all the cop shows for journalist shows because that same investigative energy um, can be sort of told in that obviously in the new media, like landscape, there's been a few films um, that have kind of straddled it a little bit uh, state of play. Russell Crowe, Rachel McAdams, Ben Affleck, um, uh, you know, David Yates is there. Um, Helen Mirren. That, that is, um, that's kind of on the border. Like it's like part in the world of presidents and then part in the world of like new media. Um, but it's, it's not, there's not been like other than newsroom, which obviously is slightly different cause it's like Sorkinized and it's modernized for like a TV newsroom. There hasn't really been like a newsroom now, like where people, like other than where someone works in a romantic comedy <laughs> And yeah. none of the actual work is there. It's just an excuse to have nice furniture and an open plan office. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like it's ripe now for like, let's actually go and dig in and see how these people live and how they do their job now. Cause it's, I mean, my one is more, it's more interesting.
2: Yeah. I want, and I wonder if it's it's to do with whether there's like the idea that maybe there's less of an audience for that kind of journalism and therefore that kind of, media about that kind of journalism or whether yeah. it's you know i mean you know i look at the the time and effort that was put in you know that woodward and bernstein could put into this kind of single story <laughs> yeah. and it's just like what a dream and uh, look look, there are investigative reporters out there obviously there are, there's still great investigative reporting being done but you know it it it, it does some in some ways feel like a, a film of a different time
0: oh a film of like a great deal of time. I think, I think maybe that's part of the kinship that I have with doing these long form projects. I'm like, Oh, you want me to write a, you know, a 500 word review that needs to be filed by tomorrow. How about instead I give you a 137 hour podcast that takes (laughs) me a year to produce. Maybe that's where I really find the true kinship is the, the the extended deadline. Um, Let us dive into this minute right now. Um, It's a real easy one for you guys to queue up. It is one hour, and uh, one hour and 49 minutes in this movie on your dial or on HBO Max if you're watching this in the States or you are one of our international listeners or DVD. There shouldn't be multiple versions, so it shouldn't be um, too hard for you to find. Tom and I are going to look at the minute right now together. You guys are going to listen along, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Right, you got a cigarette? right? Yep.
1: Who's the teller?
0: I have the slightest idea. Carl, I have this whole place to take care of. Carl?
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. Don't leave his phone number next time, all right? Mm-hmm. Alright, sir. Carl, listen, do you guys know about not letter? Yep. I'm sorry, I'm late. I just want to make sure you never the it. Yeah. What? What? You mean the letter to sabotage the musky cannons. Alright, come here
0: there it is what a ripper What a ripper of a minute. And I just want to say, I know that it's like the parlance of our time to talk about flexes, but if you talk about production design flex and showing just how good the production design of your movie is, and particularly this movie in this newsroom, it is to lay this beautiful sort of slow graceful tracking shot. And then without a single edit race back through the newsroom and watch someone pick up pace and everything looks Sublime. It's just, uh, it's it's a really spectacular, real cinema, cinema <laughs> cinematography flex, and 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 everything about it. I just love it to pieces, Tom. It's so great.
2: Yeah, it's a really. Uh, I think it's a great minute. And I mean, it's so funny, and I'm sure you encounter this all the time where you invited me on, and I was like, oh, really excited, love the film, love the project. Sit down this morning to rewatch it. Get up to my minute, and my first instincts is like, oh, that's kind of a bit of a nothing minute. You know, there's no nothing really happens it's 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 just walking across the room and then walking back but you watch it a couple of times and of course that's not the case um i mean you yeah start with the cinematography it's that and this you know as you say you know obviously they've reconstructed the washington post um newsroom to the best that they can um right down to you know getting the same desks they had at the posts and all this like they've gone into this minutia, and now they're like we want to show it off we want to give you this we're gonna we're gonna go uh, left to right one way, and then we go right to left the other way. Um, and so it does give you this added appreciation for this incredible set that obviously is where you know fifty percent of the film takes place, if not more. Um, and so you know you do get again just one of the things that the film does so well is immerse you in that environment. Yes, you know. The, the fluorescent lighting, the kind of hideous primary color dead everywhere. And this film is kind of the gold standard for you know journalism movies and the depiction of the minutiae of journalism, the environment of a newsroom. And this is just one of the moments in the film. And, and there are many others that really put you in that, give you that feeling, you know, the, there's no dialogue or there's, there's, there's some dialogue, but there's not really much consequential dialogue in this minute. In fact, the most consequential moment of dialogue—you
0: can't not hear all. it. Yeah, it's inaudible. It's a brilliant. It's a, it's again. It's a brilliant decision. It's like oh, the you know the McCluskey letter, and then the dialogue goes down, and you only get the reaction. And it's true to the. It's like the camera is in a fixed position, and therefore, you know, they make the the microphone choice that the microphone uh, and him being able to hear it is in a fixed position. It's it's. It's really special. And, and you were just talking about your experience of newsrooms. And I was like, as I started watching it in the context of your newsrooms, I was like, there's not many guys in Tom's newsroom at Crikey. Maybe some crazy hipster. If there is one who's smoking a pipe in the newsroom. Like there is no guy smoking a pipe in the Crikey newsroom that I know no, of. Not,
1: quite. <laughs>
2: not quite. I think if, if you were doing a tracking shot of the, the Crikey newsroom, it, it only lasts for about five seconds, you know, <laughs> a much, smaller, much smaller office. Um, you know, I love as well, you get the punctuation of the, uh, you know, one of the kind of constant um, sounds of this film is the clack, clack, clacking yeah, of the, clack, clack. the typewriters. And obviously that's the first and last part of the film is that that the typewriters. Um, and so, again, there's that just constant immersion. But I also love, you're, you're right, like you, you, we go one way and then we go the other way with the camera. But even the difference in the two camera moves you yes. know, the, at the beginning of the minute when Bernstein's just on his way out somewhere, it's this, um, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's quite a pan. Like, I don't think that the camera is exactly fixed, but it's a much wider angle. Um, it's more or less, it's just moving. It's it's mo- more or less panning. Yeah. And you, obviously Bernstein's still the focus of that, of what's in shot, but you get more of a a, a look at the office at large, and then it goes over, he goes over the desk, he's talking to the the office manager, the office secretary, gets a cigarette, and then the only cut, you know, it's it's a whole thing is one long take, except for the moment that um, uh, Sally Aikens, I think it's the name of the character, enters the front, you know, yes. you get a cut her, and then it goes back to what is the same shot. And it's uh, such a genius move, because it's, it's not, like, this isn't a one long take, that you see sometimes in films that's kind of like they're doing it for its own sake they're doing it you know because it's kind of cool to do and film film nerds get off on seeing these long takes it's done in a way that the, the long take it's that idea of immersing you in the environment and immersing you in kind of Bernstein's kind of headspace as he goes you know he's on his way out somewhere and then the only cut is when the pivotal figure of this minute this female reporter who's going to give them this piece of information enters like and that's the only thing that's not part of that continuous take
0: yes it's, and that to
2: me is fascinating and then on the way back when he gets <laughs> the information from her and and the camera goes in reverse but it's suddenly it's not a pan it's a tracking shot it's a it's track on bernstein and Aitken, and it's the energy of it is completely different it's fast it's it goes from him kind of you know disorganized, disheveled Bernstein on his way to some meeting to holy crap, this is a big moment and we're gonna race back across to to Woodward. And you know, it's you know at first glance it almost it it's it feels like it's a you know, just a mirror going one way and the other. But in fact they're two distinctly different elements of of a one take and it's yeah. great. It's really great.
0: I I I love your description there because so much of it I want to unpack, which is there are great one in movies, like whether it's a conversation or a dialogue scene where it's done in one shot. And then increasingly the, the one that move, you know, long, extensive, you know, entire films that are as one shot or, you know, um, just that I think all of that, it, to be brutally honest, in my mind is just, it's, it's in the realm of gimmickry at this point, because it doesn't, it seems to, it seems to ignore characterization. But what I love that you pointed out is you can make something feel like it's an immersive one shot, like you're, you're, you're coming into a world, but also make an editorial choice that is so perfect for the mood and the tone and the pace that you're setting in that scene. When Sally pops in, she's an interruption. So the camera edits and interrupts like it's Mm. just such a, it would seemingly be such a, you know, like a basic thing. Like if you're in film school, I want her to interrupt. So we're going to cut to her as opposed to the camera pan to her. Cause you don't want it, this languid digression. We want her to be interrupting the scene. Um, but to your point, it's like, no, they're, they're not going to faff about and do a dumb camera trick. They actually want to immerse you in the story. And it's important that Sally Aitken pops in because the news that she's about to reveal is as important as anything else that they've come up with. And Secondly, you want her to interrupt. You want to give her that little bit of an underscore and say, Sally's really important here. And to your whole point, the pace just fits Bernstein. He's so good. Hoffman's so good at looking like he's never prepared for anything. And he just comes over. The secretary's like, Carl, you never pick up your messages. I've got to look after all these people. He's like got like a pile. And so like in our world, like Where we get texts and emails and bombarded with stuff like five or six or seven telephone messages that he's missed is a big deal because like he should be spending most of his time there and the guy who always smokes everywhere i just love it he's like got a cigarette and like that'll stop me because at least i have to pause to light the cigarette to read the stuff doesn't make any calls back just stuffs all these notes in his pocket and starts to walk out the door he's clearly gonna forget those He's going to get another call from the office manager who's going to get him to come back. But I also love that you talk about the, that languid energy allows that big anamorphic lens. We're just going to check out this whole space. And then when the, when it is so important, we're going to be, we're going to squeeze in and it's going to be, it's going to be like, I don't know, like you you, you see these kind of running shots not even marathon man, like which he's in around the same time. It's, it's, it's more like a, I don't know. It's like a chariots of fire. Like it, like it literally comes in, like people are running this like Olympic race and things are streaming past them and they're running through this office and yeah, it's just electric. And yeah, that whole, the whole sequence, I just love all the tones and the moods and just knowing how to, how to really pace this. It's just such a a phenomenal beginning of what is ultimately an epic and awesome scene.
2: And I mean I also think what's what's I find kind of fascinating about this minute is where it falls in the film and particularly the minute that it comes immediately after because we've just had this incredible sequence that deep throat sequence the sec- yes. the second I think it's the second meeting with deep throat and it's the moment where maybe for the first time that it really dawns on
0: woodward Wood. yeah.
2: Like the scope of the story that they are working on, and then you get that you know that uh, that you know the scene where Woodward's worried he's being followed, and it's it's talk, the film. For folks
0: who are listening, minute 109 the incredible former editor of Time Out New York, friend of the show, Josh Roth, Josh Rothkoff, and I just talk about it, but it's that it's it's the realization that. You know this kind of waspy guy who feels like all these institutions are playing by playing by the rules. Um, it dawns on him that his life is in danger, basically, and it's 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 revelatory that whole that whole minute particularly. Um, I think we talked, we referenced Suspiria, Argento, Giallo. You know, it's 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 such a heightened scene, and and the whole world changes from that moment, and we we're now at this new new phase of this movie.
2: Yeah, but but I love, and I haven't obviously I haven't heard that episode yet. But I love that you say that because to me, it's a great it's a great sequence. And part of what makes it great is that this film largely is it's about minutiae, It's about the work of journalism, and it's it's quite amazing that the film isn't boring when you consider that <laughs> so much of it is just like asking, you know, going to meet people and hanging out at courtrooms and sitting at your desk. So the film does an incredible job of doing that. And that car part, I mean, the stuff with Deep Throat is the film at its most. Um, the most like there's the most intrigue that's the film when it's the closest to a thriller i guess yes where where it's the most suspenseful and you know it's particularly with woodward you know there's this real fear it's the first time that like this is really scary and it's such an effective sequence because of everything that came before it because it is that sort of pivot like that like oh shit moment but then i love that this comes straight afterwards because the film doesn't totally become a different movie at that point. Like, there yeah. there's versions of a movie where after that scene with Deep Throat, it's just like this paranoid thriller. But instead we kind of, we reset. And obviously the stakes are now higher, but it's just about they get back to work. You know, we go from that scene of Woodward freaked out and we don't even see him and Bernstein talk about that. Like, it's not entirely how much time has passed in no, between these...
0: It's a really weird uh, sort of coda to that scene, which is like that quick rack focus. Like Woodward feels like someone's creeping up behind him. Mm. He stares into the distance, into the abyss, and then he walks through this foggy, or the fog is lifting. He walks through this big, you know, open um, uh, sort of, you know, uh, kind of
2: like pu- public mall kind of. Yeah, it's like
0: a public mall, or a you know, you'd just see like a big open area um, surrounded by buildings. Very and- Washington. Yeah, it is as Washington as it gets because it's all these buildings that have been shrouded in fog and now the fog is lifting and in his mind, the fog is lifting in his mind as as he's going through that scene and then it's daytime. So in my head, I know that time, you know, cinematic temporality is a fun thing. Like you have no idea how much time is actually passing, but in my mind, it's like, he's been so paranoid by that moment meeting at like 3 AM and he's just walked from one random part of the city all the way back into town that in my mind, it almost feels like that could be the the same morning. Like he's just walked back into the office. He's telling Carl something and then bang, the next revelation happens and like, or it could be days later, it could be weeks, but I don't know. Yeah. You, you, it's not really clear. And in so many other movies, like, and I suppose that's what's coming up later. We're going to get a similar moment, but you would totally get a debrief between the two lead characters of like, holy shit, Deep Throat said X, he disappeared, paranoia, but now he just rolls into this scene and you're just in.
2: Yeah, and I mean, that's also one of the great things about this film is that it doesn't need feel the need to no. recap for you. You know, there's so little... Exp- there's, for a film that is like in some ways all exposition because it's all about <laughs> just getting information there is very little handholding for the audience yeah. and that's exactly what i appreciate about it appreciate about it so much but yeah i mean i think i don't know if there's something you got you've spoken about but like when i think about the similarities between this and heat one thing that i thought about is that these are both movies about people who are so committed to be to to their to their work who are such consummate professionals and when I think about what we spoke about in, in Heat, was was how how ruthless these these robbers are and how good they are at their work. This to me feels the same. It's about you know they're just back at it. And even though Bernstein in particular is a bit of a, a mess, it seems <laughs> they're so kind of yeah, like the fact that Woodward's is back at work and he's just they're just they keep digging. They keep you know they get this new piece of information. I don't know. I think that that um yeah, just having this scene straight after the scene that comes before it is, is kind of like a perfect summation of the philosophy of the film and the, and the way that these characters work.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And especially because we're talking about so such like a formal divide, like a formal storytelling divide, but but we're also talking and, and the the, you know, I think great directors have really broad toolkits and they kind of ask themselves how to problem solve a question of like, what the, what the movie needs in those moments. And, and like you said, so much of this movie, um, before we get back to the professional, so much of this movie has been about how, are how are we, you know, stuck in this actual physical space that's trying to be authentic. And then when you get out of it, how do we bring in that intrigue and the fear without, you know, it's so hard to do under like halogen lighting it feels like of this, of this room. But, I think that's my comfort, Tom. I think you know, folks who who've been listening to these shows uh, for for this long, it's like, you know, it's 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 heat. It's uh, it's all the president's minutes. And our next project we're doing is Zodiac Chronicle, um, which is coming a little bit later in the year about David Fincher's Zodiac. It's not quite the minute by minute, but it will be a very extensive project. And James Vanderbilt, who is actually the writer of Zodiac, talks about when he was writing Zodiac. Um, he had the comfort of I've got a right exposition. People are going to be talking and I can't afford to slow down because this is already a big sprawling multi-decade, you know, a decade and a bit epic of a movie that the that, that Zodiac sprawls through. And he goes, but that, that, um, that sort of guiding light of all the president's minutes, he, uh, all the president's men he said he had in his mind was, experts doing stuff and them knowing what's going on, even if you don't quite know what's going on as the audience is really comforting. It's like, I don't quite know exactly what's happening. I'm sure that like over the next few conversations, it's going to clarify for me what I need to know, but there's this great kind of like comfort of like, I don't need to know every name in this movie the first time I watch it. I don't need to know every bit. I just need that comfort of like the experts are on it. And they're going to work their ass off. And that's all that matters. I've got a lot of comfort going in in both. And in heat, it's like, I've got a lot of comfort that these crooks are good. And I've got a lot of comfort that these cops are good. And let's hope that, um, you know, that, that the great tension of that movie is that whenever your favorite character in the cops or crooks are on screen, you're rooting for them. So you kind of, uh, you, you want De Niro to win, you want Pacino to win, you want, kill to win, you, you know, every, and and they make, it makes it such a splendid viewing. Cause you're just like, God damn it. I want everyone who's on screen to win right now.
2: Yeah. And I mean, and again, I think with, with this, with this minute in, in all the presidents, men like exactly what we were talking about with like that lack of exposition and that kind of the audience, because the, the film, you know, like the film doesn't hold your hand, you know, it's no. like this female reporter who we haven't really seen in the film before comes in and starts talking about this letter that we, haven't really heard about before written by this guy that we kind of and it's like all these names and all this information and the film doesn't spell it out for you it doesn't need to because even if you don't know what the canuck letter is and you don't quite know who the person is you trust that the film will like will work even if you don't know all the details and even if it doesn't explain all the details to you and and even if you don't know the individuals the 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 film, whether it's through the performances, through the, you know that camera move we were talking about, you don't need to know who 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 wrote the letter. And in fact, as as we said, you don't hear it because hear it, it. Bernstein's halfway out the door. But the 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 way the camera moves makes it absolutely clear that it's a big deal.
0: a <laughs> uh, it's a huge deal. We know a massive revelation's coming, and the movie is telling us, Hey, guess what? Right now. You need to listen. (laughs) Like, it's like, it's like all those other names that have flown through them and we've covered this guy and that guy, you didn't need to know every single second of the detail. You needed to know that these guys are working. It's all part of the process. It's all like that Manny fiber termite art, um, uh, you know, quality of this movie and great movies that do this, like lots of different heist movies have that quality, but it's like this movie as an investigative journalism movie it's got that. And it's like, it's so huge. You don't need to have known it right this second, but I'm going to race to get to Woodward. And it's like, I'm not even going to get you to repeat it again. I want you to tell Woodward what you just told me. And it's this great, like, I want you to tell Woodward what you just told me. And that's like, it's, it's one of the first times in the movie where they get to have this fun in the office. The revelation actually gets to happen here someone they work with. And, it, and, you know, I think the Woodward before the last scene that we just discussed um, the deep throat revelations is kind of gone and we're about to come up in the forthcoming scene to a Woodward that we haven't experienced before a much more forthright and brutal version mm. of this guy, like asking harder questions and yeah, just, just everything about it. Like um, I, I, I also love not hearing things in movies. I don't know about you. Like I love not I love a director's choice to go, nah, they don't need to hear that. Or that's just that's fine. It's far, it's far away. Like let, let them have that moment. Um mm-hmm. and you're seeing a reaction, you know, whether it's an emotional reaction here. It's just so it's such a good call in this moment. And it's it's, it's I think
2: it's not just about like having the kind of like the guts to do it. It actually just works way better and it works almost as a bit of a comedic beat and yeah. Like the the fact that y- it's all about his reaction because the information isn't important. It's what the information means for the broader story, the broader scandal. Yes. Um. And and it also you know again it 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 perfectly encapsulates Bernstein as as played by um, Hoffman. You know like he's you know he's he looks he's his top uns undone, He's 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 like get going for his um. You know, for the cigarette that he did, that he had to borrow off someone. or something is <laughs> in his pocket. He, he, you know, Aiken comes over and wants to share this information, and he he just kind of doesn't even want to give him the time of day. He's like, "Oh, I'm on my way. Walk with me." He's not really paying attention. He's trying to light his cigarette, and it's yeah. I mean, it's it's just a great way that it plays his character, and yeah.
0: I have an important question. How much more do you want to smoke after watching this movie? I mean, I, I, I it just, it's 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 such a vital thing to me. Um. I feel like if I ever found out that I was like King Ralph style related to some uh, royal from another country and I I came into money, I would just want to make an office that had a secretary, like an old school secretary. Like you hear about like Bill Murray still got like a secretary. You ring like a landline phone and someone takes a message for him. Like I feel like that setup is great. I feel like being able to smoke inside is great. I don't know whether it's COVID that's doing this to my brain, but I, I just, I love, I love all the like, just, the 70s of this moment in this scene as well. I just watch it and I'm like, oh, people smoking. I like it. I really like this scene for all that.
2: Well, I mean, and it is also just like, I think, you know, we know that this film, this is one of those films and one of those books I mean, and the story itself made, you know, kind of made a whole generation of, pe- of young people want to be journalists and the film captures this kind of idea of, you know, it's what it's what all journalists want to be. They want to break that big story. They want to be working in that environment, and it 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 does make it seem very cool. You know, the way that they, uh, I mean, not just in this minute, but throughout the film, the way that they are playing their sources and getting the information and all these clandestine rendezvous. It's I think I think what you're talking about, like the, the way that they dress, uh, the smoking, the drink. You know, it.
0: Big shout out to Australian comedian Cam James and podcaster. Um, from behind Finding Drago, uh, uh, co-hosted by a good friend of the show, Alexi Toliopoulos. Cam watched this movie and bought himself a corduroy jacket. And the respect that I have for him is so much more um, after that decision and having the guts to do that. But it's funny, like um, I got a great, you know, again, I have I have phenomenal listeners of this show. And, uh, Greg Christie, I've mentioned a few times now, one of our patrons, he, he often sends me great little tidbits that he finds. And I always like to shout out when I get the emails, but Redford himself, you know, he, he actually, there's a, there's a quote about Woodward and Bernstein from the Washingtonian magazine, um, which talks about, he says, I did not expect the glamorization of those two reporters. I expected the revelation of their work to be the most important thing. I got depressed when I began to see that people were getting into journalism for the glamour and for going after people. Um, Because in his mind, they're like, just to go in to take down a power. Like if you just got like a, a takedown almost like in a strange, like weird way, like a bit of like a like a cancel culture mindset. I don't know. Like it's, I'm not, you know, obviously people, people definitely deserve to be canceled. But, um, I mean like that mindset of like, I'm just going to go in and I'm all about taking people down. Like his thing was these guys did amazing work, tireless work, and their journey is about the unrelenting pursuit. And also the, that, that allure for the unknown, Like once you open a very small door and you into this complete new world, it's like you are navigating blind through this world and you don't know where all these tendrils go. And I think that that unknown is so huge. And so for him, again, he's the producer. He's, you know, uh, arguably had contributions on the script. He's an actor in the damn thing. He basically chose the whole raft of people who did the movie. And even for him, he's like, no, for me, it wasn't the glamour, but I think, um, you know, I think the 50th episode of our show we had, great la times critic kenny turin and he's like when you he's like he actually was in the washington post offices when this happened he's like when you look up on the screen and there's robert redford and he's beautiful mm. ringing around to get like quotes from people who he needs for a story and that job is undeniably boring it's batshit and yeah <laughs> Soul crushing, often, because you just sit there for days and hours doing that same thing, and that feels like it's exciting. You realize that all movies are naturally a lie. Like the romanticism of movies is inherent. Yeah. It's like when it's, you put it on a big screen and you have a big, beautiful actor who looks nothing like Bob Woodward. Both you and I would happily be played by, you know, happily <laughs> exactly. have Robert Redford play us, you know, in in the story of our lives, even though we look nothing like him. Like those things, I think it's yeah. There's a romance that is just undeniable. Like to not think that there is some romantic element, maybe is a little bit of a folly on his part, because cinema is naturally, I guess, romantic.
2: Well, I mean, it's also, I mean, you know, it's funny that that Redford sort of had that regret, and I mean, he's got it totally got a point. But you're also like, well, maybe you shouldn't have cast yourself and Hoffman <laughs> if you didn't want people <laughs> making heroes of these two these two guys. And I mean, the film to its credit does show them barking up the wrong tree and failing points. Oh. There's that kind of montage of them having the door slammed in their face earlier in the film. And then that great comedic beat where they go and interview that woman and they realize it's the wrong, the wrong woman.
0: Oh yeah. And she's, and, and literally a redheaded red herring in the movie. Like that's, that, that's having a poking fun at that for sure. But even,
2: even with that, you know, the film is two, two, two and a bit hours long and it covers a, a you know, I mean, the, the the whole reporting took them years and you get to see a few failures and then all their successes. You don't get to see the boring grinding going through records. I mean, and they, you know, there's that great, where they're going through all the files and the, you know, the library and that, that great bird's eye view shot and everything. And, you know, that makes going through records at, at city hall look interesting, which it certainly ain't. So- no,
0: but it's, you know, it's, it's that whole thing. Like this movie is setback after setback, but you know, the, you know it's so you know history bookends this movie mm. and so despite the fact we've got setback after setback it's like nixon resigns it's like they won and we know that I almost kind of going in the, the the greatest sort of achievement of this movie is in a culture that was completely swarmed and swamped and probably tired of watergate it it manages to be like really really dramatic, really engaging, continuously engaging and, and, you know, so effective in storytelling. Like even now in 2020, the way that it's the whole thing is constructed, but yeah, there's a whole, you know, you've got the two of Hollywood's hottest actors at the time and maybe ever Mm. as the lead characters. It's glamorous. Like it's cool. Mm. People, people are cool. It's like cops. It's like, oh, I didn't, we didn't want to glamorize, you know, the justice. And it's like, well, who's the actor that's playing the cop? Mm. They, they, they might be, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, it, it starts to be on those blurred lines in 2020 of what's propaganda, what's not, you know, all those things. It's, it's mm. one of those interesting, uh, quandaries that you have, but yeah, I, 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 I hear, I hear his regret, but I'm just like, man, it's just, it's a byproduct of uh, making a movie about it. Things get m- yeah,
2: exactly. more... Exactly. You, know, you, w- you want to get a movie funded, you cast a couple of stars in it and it's just, it's the way it works, I guess.
0: Uh, it's um, the way it works still. It's the way it continues to work. But I will say as well, you know, I think that the film, and this sounds a
2: bit kind of, you know, idealistic or whatever, but the film doesn't, to me, feel like it's about taking someone down. No. Like, to me, it's about the truth. It's about the, the hunt for the truth and that's a very kind of, idealized version of what journalism should be. Um, And obviously, you know, because I think as well, because watching the film, even when it came out, we already knew the villain. It was all about them finding the villain. We're kind of wanting them to nail the villain. We're wanting them to nail Nixon. But for them, it's not about, I mean, you know, Nixon's involvement is not even something that they're thinking about for a long time. It's...
0: Knowing there's only 27 more minutes of this movie to go in episode form, we've still got 24 minutes where they don't even know it's Nixon (laughs) to be really brutally honest with everyone. It's like, it's not even it's, it's, it's the thought that it goes all the way to the top. And I think that that's what's great. Like, like you said, we've got the comfort that he does nail Nixon, but there's that great thing of, they have no clue how high it goes right Mm. until the death of the movie. Hmm. And when they realize it, it's like there's still a shitload of work to do because they need to get, they need to first indict or get investigated. All these people who are under him and then yeah. hope that when they get in front of a grand jury or, you know, a senator, senatorial committee that they're going to do it. And even there are people, you know, there's a great uh, podcast called slow burn that I'll just shout out to anyone who hasn't listened to it. by one of the guests on this show, Leon Nafark. And it's about Watergate and just that, you know, there was a couple of people who flipped on Nixon in the middle of these Senate hearings and just confessed, yes, we spoke about this. Yes. Nixon said this, yes, it happened. And then eventually, you know, things were winding up that he was going to be dragged into these hearings and the Republicans and Nixon at the same time kind of made that call. But it's just one of those really interesting things that like, you know, tapes and having the tapes and not destroying the tapes and just, like transcribing the tapes and all those weird things that happen that we later find out, but they don't form any part of this movie. It's all just in the history, the history books are our, are our sequels.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. And it'll be, it'll be an interesting conversation for whoever you have on for the last couple of minutes, I guess, because it's obviously a very conscious choice to end the film where it does. And it kind of brings it back to what we were talking about at the very beginning with, you know, he, he gets reelected. The film doesn't end with, you know, there's a version of this film and I think it's what happens, you know, that the book goes further. There's a version of the film that ends with the publication of the story, him being, him being impeached, him resigning. And obviously we get it kind of in the kind of the very clever way that the film does its title cards at the end. But, you know, it's, it's a conscious decision to end the film where it does and I mean, you know, again, you, I'm sure you'll, I'm not going to cut someone's lunch by going into that.
0: (laughs) You're allowed to cheat slightly and say, but, uh, but, but yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's a fascinating choice to end the movie, the way that it ends. And I think that in 2020 and you would observe it in now, like the streaming landscape that we have, it would just not be conscion- conscionable for a company in my mind, I think just, to, it, we don't even have to talk about the details of what isn't covered, but it's like, if you bought the rights to all the president's men and you would Netflix mm. look you would also have Last Days and you'd you'd buy every book that Woodward and Bernstein published at that time that talked about the entire thing and it would just be seasons of shows. Like the first part, this might be just the first season and then the next season is actually the next raft of stories and the next raft of stories and the next raft of stories and before you know it, we've got something like The Crown where it's like four seasons over like multiple years or whatever the case may be. Um, I just feel like so much of now like a movie being made, it was just great that, They just wanted to make this movie about these guys, laser focus, strip things away from the book that felt incidental to the story of the sort of like, you know, butterfly effect moment or butterfly effect sort of several months or year in this story of what they're doing before they sort of discover where it actually goes. But it just doesn't feel like in 2020 that would even be possible.
2: Well, and that's the thing is it's about the process. It's not about the outcome. And I mean, you're yes. right. Like, it's almost like they end the movie just when it's getting good, you know what I mean? That's a very reductive yeah. way of putting it. But it's like, now they're gonna get him, but it wasn't <laughs> about getting him. It was just about finding the truth of it all.
0: Yeah, and now now they've got it and the work still has to be done, you know? Clean up 15 minutes and get your asses back in gear. We'll be talking about that too. Um, Tom, it's a real treat to uh, get to talk to you again, mate. Um, uh, on a podcast such as this and it's a great treat to hear you get to talk about movies in 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 one conversation for a long period of time it's so rare that i find um i've really enjoyed in some of your past gigs when they let you unleash and go do little film festival diaries and actually write about movies and stuff like that so it's really been great talking to you my friend thank you so much for doing the show
2: Thanks for having me. Yeah, my new, my new job. I don't get to talk movies as much as I did in some of my past places. So, yeah, anytime.
0: Anytime you can crowbar yourself in there. I'm happy to hear it. I'm happy to read it. Um, it's been a, a pleasure. A pleasure.
2: Oh, terrific. Oh, thanks again, Mike.
0: Tom Clift, what a joy. Usually we're arguing. This time, completely on the same page. So awesome. Tom underscore Clift. You can find him on Twitter. If you want to follow the show, at ATPM pod or OneHeatMinute.com for everything, all the President's Minutes. Um, If you want to keep following us, OneHeatMinute.com. If you want to keep following this show, um, you can follow me, the host, Blake Howard, on OneBlakeMinute on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, We have an amazing lineup of guests coming up, some surprises in store. If you listen right to the end and you're one of those weirdos who listens all the way to the end where I kind of give a wrap-up, I'm going to sneak some information in. This show will end in November, late November, My daughter's birthday is the 22nd. That seems like a good day, huh?